Human relationships are made up of ordinary interactions and extraordinary interactions. For example, at the workplace, the ordinary interactions are the everyday, the work, the meetings, the hanging out with coworkers. The extraordinary, well, that's like perhaps like the annual meeting where people are flown in maybe from all over the country and everybody gets together to celebrate uh, how the year went. When it comes to relationships in the neighborhood, the ordinary, well, that's saying hi to your neighbors when you see them out, uh, now that it's summer and we can talk to one another. It's uh, watching each other's houses when they're gone on vacation, loaning tools to one another. Those are the ordinary day-to-day interactions. The extraordinary, well, that's a new person maybe moving into the neighborhood or that block party where everybody gets together and celebrates uh, what's been going on in the neighborhood. When it comes to high school sports, the day-to-day, the ordinary interactions, that's the two-a-days that are getting ready to start for fall sports. It's the regular practice times and games. The extraordinary, well, that's the game-winning score or the uh, the end-of-the-year banquet when you celebrate what's happened during the year. In friendships, the ordinary, that's the texting back and forth, the praying for one another, the conversing and talking together. The extraordinary might be if God lays on your heart instead of turning in a car to get uh, money off the new car you're purchasing, choosing instead to give that to a friend who's in need. That's an extraordinary engagement in friendship. In marriage, the ordinary, that's the daily chores and the communications and the laboring together. The extraordinary, that might be the purchase of your first house or the 50th anniversary celebration. All relationships need to have both aspects, the ordinary and the extraordinary. If you have a marriage, for example, where one spouse does the extraordinary really really well, date nights, anniversaries, birthdays, big trips, but doesn't do the ordinary, the chores, the communication, the daily interactions, something's wrong in the relationship. Likewise, if you have a friendship where someone does the ordinary day-to-day interactions well, they're regularly texting, they're praying for you, they're conversing with you about what's going on in your life, they remember things about that you've shared with them, but they never once take a special trip to come and visit you or go on vacation with you or make a sacrifice for you, something is not quite right in that relationship either. You have to have both the ordinary and the extraordinary. So it is in our relationship with God. From God's point of view to us, he's engaged in an ordinary sort of way, a daily, day-to-day, he gives us our daily bread. He meets with us when we open, our, open his word. He's present when we gather in church. He forgives our sins. His mercies are new every morning. Likewise, from God to us, he also does extraordinary things. There can be that miraculous healing, that dream or that vision that you receive from the Lord. 
That special time, not sort of the daily devotions, but when you happen to read a passage and it just literally jumps off the page and you feel like everything's gone and just God is present speaking right to you. It can be God coming alongside and leading someone to faith that you've been praying for for a long time. Or him showing up and doing something really momentous in your life for something that you have been suffering with or struggling with for a long period of time. And of course, the most extraordinary thing is God sending his son to die for us. Not a daily occurrence. It happened once. But God is affirming both in his daily interactions with us and in the extraordinary interactions with us that he loves us. And it's with both of those that we come to understand the depth of God's love for us. So too in our relationship back to God. There are ordinary aspects to that relationship. The day-to-day devotions, prayer, Bible reading, coming to church regularly, giving of the monies that we have back to the service of the Lord, engaging, serving in the children's ministry in the parking lot or wherever it may be. Those regular, daily, ongoing, ordinary interactions. But there's also a need for extraordinary gifts and service to the Lord. It's that aspect of our relationship with God that we want to talk about this morning. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. If you need a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you. It's page 826. Mark chapter 14. We're going to look together today at a story of a woman who does something extraordinary in her relationship with Jesus. Emily mentioned this story earlier in her testimony. We're going to look at this story and from it we're going to draw four principles about those sorts of extraordinary gifts or acts of service. That aspect of our relationship that is beyond the day-to-day, the regular, the ordinary, those aspects in which we, we give to God something that is extravagant or extraordinary. So Mark 14, I begin reading in verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. 
She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. The story of a woman who takes a very expensive jar of perfume and breaks it or gives it to Jesus is a story that's told with some slightly different details in Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, and John's gospel. There's a story that's slightly similar but different in Luke's gospel. But these three gospels all tell this story with sort of three different perspectives. We're looking at this one from Mark's perspective. And the thing is, if you've been a Christian for a while, or if you're familiar with the Bible, you may have heard this story because it's told three times, and it's a very popular and powerful story. One of the problems with that is, familiarity sometimes breeds contempt, and we can miss just how radical this story is. Likewise, if you've never heard this story before, it is from a different culture or context, and you might miss just how crazy this woman's act is. So let me tell you maybe a modern retelling of it. Imagine that Jesus is with his disciples not 2,000 years ago in Israel, but in 2018 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And imagine it's not warm, wonderful summer, but cold, freezing cold winter here in Michigan. And imagine that Jesus and his disciples are in a drafty old house sitting near a fireplace, and it's quite cold inside. It says that this woman gave an expensive jar of perfume. We're told about how much it was because they say you could have sold it for a year's wages. So everybody makes different amounts of money, but let's just say this jar of perfume may have been worth about $50,000. Now imagine that while you're sitting in this living room in Grand Rapids, drafty and cold, middle of winter. In comes a woman with $50,000 in smaller bills in a big, huge bag. And imagine that she sits down next to Jesus, who's cold, and she takes bills from the bag of money that she has and begins throwing them in the fire to make it warmer for Jesus. What might be your reaction to this woman who's burning $50,000 right in front of you? Well, you would probably react the same way I would react, like, what are you doing? That's what wood is for. You could take some of that money and go buy yourself some wood. It would burn a lot longer, and then we'd have some money left over. And we could take the money that's left over, and we could do something with it. Well, that's exactly what's going on here. It says that everybody who's watching what this woman is doing are thinking to themselves, what a moron. What a fool. It's so crazy that they can't contain themselves. They actually start to rebuke her out loud in front of everybody. They're like, hello, 
Are you foolish? Do you know what kind of waste this is? What is the matter with you? Do you not care about anybody other than yourself? Do you not care about the poor? And they're going around the circle heaping abuse upon her. Until Jesus opens his mouth. And when Jesus speaks, he gives us a different perspective on what this woman has done. And from his words, I'd like to share with you four principles about these extraordinary gifts or acts of service. This woman did not break an expensive jar of perfume on Jesus' feet day in and day out. This was a one-time extraordinary act of service and gift. And I'd like to share four principles. First, When you do something extraordinary for God, it always elicits a response. Verse five, they rebuked her harshly. Verse six, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Recently, maybe a year, year and a half ago, I'm not sure, uh, Moody Bible Institute, their board of directors, decided they wanted to do something extraordinary for the then president of the school. And they were going to help him, I think it was a no-interest loan, purchase uh, a living facility, an apartment I think it was, downtown near the school. Moody Bible Institute is in downtown Chicago. It's super expensive. It's not extraordinary because lots of schools do that, but it was extraordinary in the sense of it wasn't his salary. It was a one-time gift that the board of directors had decided to make, and I'm sure I'm guessing through prayer, uh, to do this so that he could be near the students. Well, it elicited a response. Some people thought this is great. This is wonderful. Here's a person who wants to be close to the students that he's leading. And here's a board that recognizes you can't really live in downtown Chicago and afford that without some help. Other people, on the other hand, were not so happy. To them, this was an utterly foolish, extravagant act. And they took the media to the internet publishing how much money was being spent and saying, couldn't we have used this money for other things? There was a big furor over the whole thing, but the point is it elicits a response. His regular salary, that didn't seem to elicit a response. This extraordinary act, everybody seemed to have an opinion about. For us at Calvary Church, when we got to this story, not in Mark's gospel, but in John's gospel, we said as a church that we wanted to do something like this. We wanted to do something that would make people sit up and say, are you guys crazy? And what the Lord gave us to do was to build a prayer garden. So we have a prayer garden. It was our, an extravagant, extraordinary act that we were giving to God a gift to tell him how much we loved him. It elicited responses. Some people loved it. Some people left the church over it. Some people said we shouldn't spend money on a prayer garden. We should use that money on evangelism. Every extraordinary thing elicits a response. If you decide to take a year off between high school 
and college and go use that for a mission year, a gap year, it will elicit a response. If you decide to come home from college and instead of getting a job, you want to use the summer to serve the Lord, it will elicit a response. If you decide to retire early from your job because you want to be more committed to serving God and have opportunity, it will elicit a response. If you quit all of your activities because a friend of yours has been diagnosed with cancer and you want to be available to help that person walk their journey, it will elicit a response. Every extraordinary action elicits a response. People pay attention. Jesus was paying attention. He said, you can say what you want, but what she's done is a beautiful thing. My favorite thing about that prayer garden is at some point after we finished it, and I can't explain exactly how this happened, just during a time of prayer, I felt the Lord's favor. I felt the Lord say, you've done a beautiful thing. And whether people love it or hate it, Jesus loves it. It always elicits a response. Second principle, verse 7 The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. The second principle, ordinary economics do not apply to extraordinary gifts and acts of service. Ordinary economics do not apply to extraordinary gifts and acts of service. If you decide, for example, to retire early because you want to go spend time serving the Lord or to take a hiatus from your job because you want to go onto the mission field or you're going to take the inheritance that you've just gotten from your parents and you want to give it lump sum to the church or to a ministry, if you decide to do something extraordinary, I guarantee you that somebody somewhere will say to you, no, wait a minute, let's think this through. Are you sure that's being a good steward of God's money? Somebody somewhere is going to say to you, hey, look, it's all well and good that you want to serve the Lord, but your summer is for getting a job so that you can earn money to pay for college. Somebody somewhere is going to use economics or wisdom to try to talk you out of doing that extraordinary thing. But the truth of the matter is that Ordinary economics do not apply to extraordinary gifts and acts of service. This story in Mark 14 has an Old Testament story as its background. It comes out of 1 Kings 17, and it's about the prophet Elijah. The prophet Elijah was ministering in Israel during a time of famine. And God says, there's a widow in the town of Zarephath who has a little son. I want you to go and stay with her. So Elijah heads over to the widow. He stays with her. She is destitute and broke. And he shows up and he says, I'm hungry. What do you have to eat? And the widow says, well, to be honest, I've got just enough flour and just enough oil to bake one more loaf of bread. My son and I are going to eat it and then we're going to lay down and die. They've reckoned they're just going to simply starve to death. Elijah asks for an extraordinary gift, and he says, give me your last loaf. He does say, and the Lord will provide. 
And this woman, this widow, in a moment of extraordinary faith, bakes the last loaf of bread and gives it to him. Elijah then says, go back and check on the oil again. And she goes back and there's more oil and more flour. And Elijah says, it will not run out until the famine is over. And every day, day after day, she continues to bake that bread. There's always miraculously more flour and miraculously more oil. Because ordinary economics do not apply to extraordinary gifts or acts of service. I told you we had a chance to go to France and to visit our mission partners, uh, Stephanie and JP Gaylord. We were there. They were here, actually, and we were there staying in their house. We got a chance to go see the church that Calvary's helping them, but that they're planting in France. When we went there, we met this English couple. So we came over from England to France, uh, and we met this couple, uh, Chris and Joanna, and they live in the city or the village of Claremont, where JP and Stephanie are. Chris was an engineer working in London, and he decided uh, with his wife, Joanna, that they had a burden to see the people of France come to know Jesus. And so he took early retirement, and they simply moved to Claremont. They're not there as missionaries. They simply moved into the city, and they decided to come help and volunteer and do whatever they could to try to help people uh, come to know Jesus. Well, when they talked to anybody, including missions agencies, all of them were like, yeah, that's really a nice idea, but you're way too old to learn a new language. And you can't do this economically, it won't work. But crazily enough, there they were, speaking French, and God had provided just enough money every month to pay their expenses in France by renting out their house in London that they weren't living in. Ordinary economics do not apply to extraordinary gifts and acts of service. Principle number three. Verse eight. She did what she could. The principle here is seize the moment. Extraordinary opportunities do not come by every day. This woman was not present with Jesus nor allowed to be present with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to strengthen him. She was not allowed to be present at the trial when he's there before Caiaphas or before Pilate. She didn't have the opportunity to support him in his regular daily public ministry for the past three years. But here she is. She just happens to be in Bethany. And Jesus just happens to show up in Bethany a few days before he's going to be crucified. And she just happens to have an expensive jar of perfume. And this woman realizes all of this stuff is not an accident. There is no coincidences in God's kingdom. And she realizes what are the odds that Jesus would show up at this house just before he's going to be killed? And wait a minute, I got a jar of perfume. And she runs to the back and she goes and gets it. She did what she could. It's not every day that you're going to receive an inheritance 
from your parents. It's not every day that one of your best friends is going to be diagnosed with cancer. It's not every day that you're going to have a child who chooses to go into ministry. The opportunities come and the, in, the encouragement is seize them. It's not about looking at what other people did and think, how do I do that? It's about looking at what has God brought to you. What can you do? What God does not require from us is what we can't do. She did what she could. She wasn't in the garden. She wasn't at the trial. She wasn't part of the daily ministry. This was her moment. And for every single one of us, there will come those moments. They don't come every day or they would be ordinary. They come at extraordinary moments. If you're a college student, you only have so many summer vacations before college is over. If you're a high school student, you only got one shot between high school and college. These are extraordinary moments. And the principle is, take them. This is your chance. This is your chance to give to Jesus something that is not ordinary. Principle number four. Verse nine. Therefore I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Extraordinary gifts and acts of service are themselves evangelistic. Extraordinary gifts and acts of service are themselves evangelistic. Compare what this woman did with what Judas did. Judas views Jesus as an opportunity for him, Judas, to make some money. Anybody know how much money Judas sells Jesus for? 30 pieces of silver. It says in Zechariah where this is predicted that God says, that's what they valued me at. According to Judas, what's the going rate for a savior of the world? 30 pieces of silver. What does this woman value Jesus at? $50,000 and more. See, the crazy thing about what this woman has done, who needs it? I mean, think about this for a moment. You anoint a body for burial, but what normally has to happen before you anoint the body? It needs to be dead, right? If you anoint a living body, what happens the next time they take a bath? Or when they walk around, it's gone, right? The reason you anointed a body is because of the odor they didn't embalm in Israel back then. But the odor doesn't start until three or four days in the grave. You wouldn't need to anoint a body that's only going to be in the grave a couple of days, right? She doesn't understand all of that. So the purpose of what she's done, there's no utilitarian value. There's no use to it. What is the use? It declares the value of Jesus against what Judas has said the market value is. Jesus, Judas has said that Jesus is worth at best 30 pieces of silver. This woman comes along and says, that is a lie. He is worth this extraordinary gift. Yeah. 
And when you and I give to Jesus something out of the ordinary, when we take this act of service, when we choose to give up social media for the year so that we can spend time with Jesus, when we we choose to retire early so that we can serve Jesus, when we choose to come alongside that parent who has dementia and serve them so that we can serve Jesus, when we give up a year of college to go and serve Jesus, when we choose to not play sports anymore because we want more time to serve Jesus, it communicates to the world that he has value. You see the difference. We talk about Islam. What's the difference between Christianity and Islam? Please hear this carefully. The difference is not Christianity has a better set of beliefs. The difference is not that Christianity has a better ethic. The difference is not that Christianity has a better history. The difference between Christianity and every other religion on the face of the earth, Moses already told us what it was. What else distinguishes me and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? It's your presence. The fact that this is a genuine and real relationship. It's not a religion. It's not a set of rules. It's a relationship with a living person. And relationships are made up of the ordinary and the extraordinary. And when you declare that Jesus is worth that $50,000, that Jesus is worth that year off of work to go do something for him, that Jesus is worth more to you than social media? When you declare it, you are sharing the gospel. The gospel is there is a living God who did something extraordinary for you and gave his life so that you could have eternal life. When you in turn respond with something extraordinary for him, remember everybody's paying attention. Every extraordinary act elicits a response. And when they see, whoa, you gave up social media for Jesus? Nobody gives up social media for a construct. We give it up for a person. You retired early so that you could do ministry for Jesus. Nobody retires early for a religion. You do it for a person. You burned money in a fireplace for a person? How valuable must that person be? Here's the crazy thing about this woman and this story. For 2,000 years, this story's been told. For 2,000 years. Today, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, 2018, we're still talking about this woman. And we're still talking about what she did. On every continent on this planet throughout the history, this woman's story has been talked about. Now listen, what else could you buy for $50,000 that would anywhere approach that? That's what Jesus is saying. When you give to God something extraordinary, it declares his value. And everybody pays attention. So the question for you, And the question for me, how's this aspect of your relationship with God going? I hope you're praying daily. I hope you're reading God's word. I hope you give regularly. I hope you show up to church regularly. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. What we're talking about is on the extraordinary side of things. How's that going? Is there something that you're currently doing 
is there something you've done recently that's extraordinary? You're like, well, how would I know? Has anybody around you rebuked you for doing it? Have there been any Christians that said, whoa, 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 let's think this through? Has anybody come to you and said, no, 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 that seems a little bit too much? Well, that's a sign that what you're giving to Jesus is extraordinary. Is there an opportunity that's coming by? You may not be a person who's able to retire early and go on the mission field. You may not be able to take a couple years off work and go do something like that. You may not be able to take a gap year. You may not be able to give up social media. You may not be able to give an inheritance gift to the church. Whatever it is, what is the opportunity that's coming by? And are you ready to seize it? Jesus says, what this woman did was beautiful. And he says, I'm going to be talking about this for 2,000 years and on into eternity. If this is what he thought of that $50,000 jar of perfume, he's going to think just as highly of whatever gift you choose to give him. It's not giving what you don't have. It's giving what you do have.